it's really difficult to change culture. And this is also part of a, a culture where um, people like to look up to authority, while in Germany there is a certain culture of criticism against authority. It's based on our history, I think. That allows the normal layman to be of much higher self-esteem when it comes to determining the party position. Of course, and then and in addition there come also the rules and regulations which are in place. So in Germany, for example, you have to start at the very lowest level of a party. You have to talk with your township people about who cleans the dog shit. Uh, that's, these are issues or parking issues. And um, if you're not willing to do that, it's difficult to make a career in a party. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Who you just heard talking about cleaning up dog shit and parking issues is Katrin Banach. Katrin is the head of the Thailand office of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. It's a German political foundation that aims to spread the ideas of freedom, transparency and democracy. And of course, that's a very interesting mission to have in a country like Thailand, which is currently under a military junta. I'll be talking to Katrin about what it means to have this mission in current day Thailand and how it impacts herself and her own personal life. And I would also like to use this chance to give a big thanks to Lou Popjecki, who's helped me tremendously with the sound of this episode. So if this sounds a little bit better than our previous recordings, you'll know why. Let's get started. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok. It's your host, Karsten. And today I'm here with Katrin Banach, who's working for the Friedrich Naumann Foundation, which does what? Um, we are promoting democracy around the world. We do that since more than 50 years already, starting in Germany, actually, with civic education programs. And here in Thailand, we also have a large civic education program, which is considered quite innovative. Um, we've developed a couple of board games on democracy and card games on human rights. Currently, we're developing one on peace, which we're going to introduce in South Thailand this summer with a festival called Freedom Festival, where we also have um, songwriters and a competition to write songs on freedom and the plural society. So we're going to, um, we're opening avenues for young people to get involved, to talk about politics, um, to get engaged into their communities. That's one leg of our work. The other one is rule of law. We're working with judges here to improve the legal system. And that's also done all over the country. Currently, we're actually having a couple of very interesting forums on democratic governance, where we're talking about political parties and their role in a democracy. And that might sound pretty normal, nothing special for Germans, maybe. But um, in Thailand, it is because, well, we're living here under a military junta at the moment, and freedom of speech and freedom of assembly is limited, and political parties haven't had the chance to. Um, meet in the past three years, and now a current um, a new law on on parties is being reformulated, and a draft has been circulated, and um, people wonder what that means for them and future, what what it means for the party relationship with their members, with the public, 
and they would like to talk about it and we'll offer them an opportunity. However, the way we do it is we actually don't invite people necessarily to talk about Thailand in the first place. We invite international experts and talk about how it's done internationally, what are international standards, what are experiences in other countries with transformations. And very often Germany is taken as very As an interesting example here, because we have witnessed um, two major transformations in the past century after the Third World War and also with the reunification. And so people are interested in our experiences. How did we set up our system? How did we make it so successful from their perspective? And so we talk about that first. And then as a second part, um, people get together and reflect on current situation in Thailand. Catherine, you've been working with the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for 14 years now, right? Yep. <laughs> and you are the country manager for Thailand? Uh, yes. I'm the um, director of our programs in Thailand and Myanmar. Okay. Yeah. How did you come to be in that career? Well, I always wanted to work abroad. Very simple. <laughs> um, I wanted to do that uh, since I was an exchange student in the U.S. when I was 17, which was actually a quite difficult experience because I had difficulties with my family there. And coming from Germany, you're you're used to all the freedoms. You know, with 17, you go out when you're 16. I come from Hamburg. I've been to the Ripperbahn regularly. It's nothing special. And when you're a teenager with 17 in the U.S., you're very restricted in your freedom. But I I love this experience of questioning our values, learning beyond what we um, normally see in our daily life. And so I, I went abroad a couple of times later on for studies and travels. And the other field I always wanted to work in was training. And so when I studied at university, at the Hamburg University also, um, a seminar by hosted by Schulz von Thun, I don't know if you've heard of him, as a communication psychologist. And at, at my time in school, he was widely read even in high school. Simple communication rules. And he has had an assistant, Mr. Redlich. I must say I loved his lessons because um, he taught us how to deal with groups, um, how to moderate facilitate sessions and um, I was always fascinated by the techniques getting people together making them you know think differently learn help them to learn together and and then uh, thirdly came that I was a scholarship holder of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation ah. at one point uh, and, uh, and now it's payback time um, <laughs> I don't know who pays whom <laughs> back here but I'm, I'm very Uh, happy that all these three things came together. My love for trainings, uh, which is now it's not. I've also looked around in um, you know training for personal or career purpose and so on. But I um, I like the political touch of this work. So it's mm -hmm. um, there is always a larger social dimension to it. The Friedrich Naumann Foundation is the foundation that is linked to the German party FDP, right? That's correct, yeah. Do you have to um, be a member to work for the Friedrich Naumann Foundation or is it kind of an unspoken expectation or what's what's the link there? Yes, it's the latter. It's an unspoken expectation, but I, I know of colleagues who are not a member. Um, 
but, but it's don't ask, don't tell. Um, no, but I think you have to feel comfortable with being affiliated to them because our mission is quite clearly we promote um, liberal society, we promote more freedom for the individual and people always ask you about what do you mean by more freedom? Um, what does liberal for you mean? And if you don't stand for it, if you don't burn for it in a sense, mm -hmm. it's it's difficult to work for. So um, in that sense, it's a personal decision you have to make for yourself. And that makes the foundations quite um, unique because the, the, there are six political foundations um, around. They're all affiliated to parties in our parliament. And they all um, have, in that sense, of course... Um, Each party has their own foundation. Yeah. Well, the way you just said it uh, can be, you know, slightly misinterpreted. We're not part of the party. You know, they don't okay. have us, in a sense. Okay. You know, the party does <laughs> Um, but we're affiliated to them. The funding is also really, is different. It's public funding mm -hmm. and it's all our events are open to public. Mm -hmm. So it cannot be used for party purposes. And uh, the party sometimes has some ideas what the foundation can do, but the foundation decides independently about mm -hmm. their programs. Is this system of having foundations that are close to individual political parties a very unique German construct, or do you see that in a lot of other countries? That's very unique German, and it, it doesn't exist in any other country. There, There's something closely to that in the U.S. with the IRI and NDI, um, but the way the German foundations are mainly targeted towards uh, Germany, uh, providing civic education seminars, training for people who are interested in politics in Germany, the foundations can take issues up, that they find interesting. And also because they have a broader outreach to the public and they're not only focused on party members, they're kind of the tentacles into the, into the society, you know, mm -hmm. people who are probably affiliated to the values we stand for, but who are not necessarily party members. So they communicate with a larger group of people on issues. What do you think is a reason why other countries haven't copied that system? Not sure, because every country has very specific funding mechanisms of funding their civic education and actually now thinking about it has a lot to do with our history, I think, because civic education often is considered as a state matter and Germans are very careful with providing too much or or are very not careful, but they actually cherish a lot the idea of subsidiarity. So the idea of if something can be done by civil society, by someone else, it doesn't necessarily need to be done by the state. The, so the uh, the f foundations provide something, civic education, that should be done by a lot of different organizations in a country and not only by the state and by the schools because that allows the citizen to give get opportunities and pr perspectives from different organizations, which again is a mechanism to control government power. Because Germans have experienced the, the misuse of government power in such a horrific way that we are very good in creating a checks and balance system. And part of this checks and balance system is not only a checks and balance between parliament and government and uh, judiciary, as we have learned it in school, but it's also you know, allowing the public enough wisdom, knowledge, and you know, discussion forum to hold their government accountable. A lot of their civil society organizations in Germany, which are 
which are cooperating with the government, which are funded by the government, as we are, who deliver things that the government could also do. Um, mm -hmm. Just very basic things like sports facilities and music and all this youth work. Do you think this would be a model you would like to see happen in Thailand? Oh, yes. <laughs> You're yeah, like, look at what we are doing. You should do the same. <laughs> well, um, we can't, uh, that's something we can't say anywhere because every country has to find their own way of doing things based on their history. I mentioned German history and, right. and the way we, the German government governance system is set up is also very much based on our historic experience. So Thais are currently also recreating a new governance system based on their experience based on their traumas in a sense they want to avoid certain things in the future again but however they, there are a lot of people who come to us here in thailand ask us about germany because they have a very high opinion on how we govern the country and so they also ask us about the role of civil society and we've in the past few years had a couple of requests where we had to talk about publicly about how it works how, how the cooperation between german government and civil society works because that is something very unusual here mm -hmm. because here often there is a very paternalistic approach to it so the moment a higher authority such as the governing government comes in they feel they also have to care for everything they have to make sure everything is run properly and there's a different approach to it in germany germany the authorities often tend to say okay you do a good job maybe it's not perfect but we cherish and we even support your local associations in doing so mm -hmm. because it's a forum for the citizens to get together and organize themselves this kind of self-organization is being valued by the state while here the moment the state steps in people look up to the government and say okay well now tell us what to do and how to do it mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. think one as a lay person, what I always perceive about German parties, I'm not sure how true it is in uh, how, or how true to which degree it is true in different parties. The concept of democracy within a party, that the party's member determine the leadership of the party and the direction of the party. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, how commonly do you find that in other countries? And what's like, what are your thoughts about? inner party democracy in a place like Thailand. The German inner party democracy is certainly an export model we, we would like to see more often. But it's so difficult to implement it. And so it's one of our mandates to talk about inner party democracy. And because we as a political foundation have these um, associations to a party in Germany, we have a higher credibility talking about it. Because we can ask politicians from Germany, insiders, who can talk about their experiences, how it works in Germany, instead of just, you know, being an NGO who has theoretical knowledge about it. And so people are very interested also in Thailand to learn about how um, party members can influence policies, how they can influence decisions on the top. However, it's really difficult to change culture. And this is also part of a, a culture where um, people like to look up to authority, while in Germany there is a certain culture of criticism against authorities, based on our history, I think. That allows the normal layman to be of much higher self-esteem when it comes to determining the party position. Mm -hmm. 
Of course. And then and in addition, there come also the rules and regulations which are in place. So in Germany, for example, you have to start at the very lowest level of a party. You have to talk with your township people about who cleans the dog shit. Uh, that's, these are issues or parking issues. And um, if you're not willing to do that, it's difficult to make a career in a party. And also, which is also peculiar in, in Germany, but interesting is that um, the election list, the voting lists are made up on state level. So the states decide on who's, who's on top of the priority, the state party level decides. Mm -hmm. so the, the not so there's no central organization that creates the list of potential candidates that get into the parliament, but each exactly yeah. of the 16 German states kind of submits their own list. Exactly, yeah. That that is something completely different to the way it's handled here mm. and in other countries. I mean, I'm, I'm also working in Myanmar, and there um, we're the party structure of the current party in government, the uh, um, the NLD, which it has been an opposition movement in the past. So you can understand that there need, needed to be a certain form of centralization because the party was under threat. Now we we're democratizing. We're looking at a newly democratized Myanmar. Of course, it's still on the way, but it's very difficult to let go of such a centralized structure. Mm -hmm. In that sense, Germany had an advantage because we come from a culture of century-old, rather independent city-states and so on. So the end, Germany had always had a very strong, or in some areas, very strong local government. Mm -hmm. You yourself have come to Thailand in 2012, right? Um, after an assignment in India. Yeah. Was that uh, a shock coming here, or was that a relief, or what was the what went through your head at that when you first came to Thailand? Yeah, I very, I very much remember the first um, shock I had in uh -huh. the sense of that we had rented a house here while we were on. On a, on a trip to Bangkok. So we've identified a house and we signed the contract and the landlord has asked us which color we want the, the walls to be painted. And we thought, oh, that's nice, you know? And we had all kinds of weird ideas which colors, which wall needed to be painted. Very colorful. And we made a drawing and sent it to him. We scanned it to him and we, we were 100% sure it's going to be looking really weird and all mixed up when we came. And was precisely the way we wanted it. Wow. So that was a, <laughs> a shock because in India, we certainly would have known it would have been all over the place. <laughs> yeah, well, coming from India, we actually felt a little homesick. We wanted to go home to Germany because living in India is such a, it's so different from Germany. It's such a culture shock every day again that, um, We felt a bit tired. We we didn't want to go through a, a similar adjustment process we had uh, w when we were in India. It took us about two years to arrive finally in India. Mm -hmm. And then we came to Thailand and we realized it can be really different. Really But, nice. And re in Thailand can be really easy. Yeah. You're here with <laughs> your family, right? Yes. Uh, who's the family? Uh, my two daughters. They uh -huh. are now two and three years old and mm -hmm. my husband, yeah. Okay. Uh, you also came with uh, another guest from India, right? Yes, our cat Pumpkin. <laughs> Pumpkin? <laughs> yes, a former Indian street cat, yeah. Okay. How did you, like, the ties, what did you tell the 
Thai customs. Like, oh yeah, we found her on the street in India. She's cool, right? Or Actually, that was no problem. Really? Again, we were really surprised um, because we basically had to fill in some forms. I had to pay, I think, 300 rupees and got some stamps and out, out he was of customs. Uh -huh. no, no, in, in, in India? In, here in Thailand, okay, on, uh -huh. the, on the Thailand side. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So India, it's much more complicated. It was really, really complicated to get him, out, get him out of India, the forms he needed and so on. But of course, then all his vaccination records were fine. So in Thailand, mm -hmm. we just showed that and okay. brought him here. That was all easy. Okay. Yeah. What are your thoughts of, I mean, you are in a very much, well, civic society environment. So you have probably a lot of very specific ideas about values and the social environment that kids should grow up in. And uh, my impression is that surroundings definitely shape kids. How do yes. you feel about that for your yeah. own kids here? Yes, I feel Good and sometimes a bit bad about it. Mm, but bad only in a sense that we might have chosen the wrong kindergarten at the beginning. All right. Um, and so we're not now going to change that. Uh -huh. um, but that because there are lots of good international schools and kindergartens and um, our kindergarten is also excellent. But it seems for us a bit ambitious when it comes to all the learning goals and Yeah, well, just a bit too much like a school already, and our kid is only three years old. Mm -hmm. So we are. Do they have private tutors? No, they don't. <laughs> they could be. They could. They could. But they do have that, right? They, they have yeah, private yeah. tutoring for kindergarten kids. Um. Yes. Not. I'm not sure if some of her classmates take that, but but uh, they offer Japanese and Chinese classes, and that and this is for two and three year old. For Japanese and Chinese kids, or? no. no. Or just as a foreign language, like okay. kindergartening and Chinese or, or right. Japanese. Okay. And considering that our kids already speak three languages, I mean, kindergarten is in English, at home they speak German, and with the nanny they speak Thai. Thai? Yeah. Not uh, Burmese? <laughs> no, no, we're very lucky that we, yeah, okay. we've, we've, uh, we've, and that's why I, I heard these stories from Thai families who have like a Burmese nanny and the kids grow up learning Burmese uh, nursery rhymes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that ha happens also a lot. Yeah, no, that's why I consider us really lucky because we have a um, wonderful nanny. Mm -hmm. We love her really to be around us. And that's very rare that you find a person who's, who's part of your family life in a way so intimately. Uh, or so in intensely, but who you enjoy having around, really being a, a really added, uh, something wonderfully to be added to your family. She lives with you, or? No, she lives in the same area, the mm -hmm. same neighborhood. And uh, I mean, that's also something special because uh, she has grandchildren the same age as our children are. Mm -hmm. So three grandchildren, basically the same age. And they all live in our neighborhood. And so um, my my kids spend a lot of time with their family. And they, they basically every afternoon they're there. Uh -huh. so they're, that's the, their best friends are Thai. Uh -huh. That's why they speak fluently Thai. They also learned it from the nanny from the very first moment onwards. Mm -hmm. How did you find her? Well, she found us. Um, in the neighborhood we moved we never had to find anyone. We moved initially when we had no kids. And we just inherited, in a sense, the 
the cleaning lady of our of the pre of the person who rented the house before us. So and it's then, kind of a she knows someone, they exactly. know someone, exactly. and you just follow that. Yeah, and when she moved away, she said, "Okay, I'm moving because I she wanted a full time job." And then her she had already a replacement, so actually we didn't have any choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, we we would have had a choice, but it was very nice then. So there is there is a trailing spouse, right? Yes. Yeah, my husband. Yeah. What does he do? Um, he also works as a trainer uh-huh. and a facilitator and a coach, a life coach. He's a um, well, for the foundation or no, no. He's not allowed to work for the foundation because I can't sign contracts with him. Ah, right. That's our um, one of our transparency policies, mm-hmm. our anti-corruption policies. So, but he can doesn't wor- exist in France, right? Um, <laughs> so, but uh, he, as long as my colleagues sign, <laughs> so he has worked in other offices actually right. in Pakistan okay. before. And I, I'm wondering, like, yeah. if you have like two different careers and you have to move as part of your career, how do you handle that? Yeah, that's a challenge. That's um, because one of us always has to reinvent himself in a sense. For him, it was easier because he had already worked or started working as a trainer in India. That's where he reinvented his CV and had some experience there in India and Pakistan and that region. And then when we came here, the Indians sometimes called him still over. So Mm -hmm. he could use his old networks. Close enough. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. if you move to a completely different region, it's going to be a challenge again. Mm -hmm. It also makes it easier if both partners are working to a degree because it provides a certain security, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so well, the what I know about the foundation, the Friedrich Hamann Foundation, so your government, the government basically pays your budget, right? And as such, they pay for the budget while the party that it is affiliated with is in parliament as well as one period after. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And your affiliate party hasn't been in the parliament in this period. Yes. So a lot is riding on them getting back in in this September when there's elections in Germany, right? That's true, that's true, yeah. I mean, the, what could be the worst case is that I would have a special career opportunity of having opened an office in Myanmar and closing it again. So (laughs) that would not be really nice. Um, Considering that we spend a lot of um, time investing in relationships, building up relationships, and feel that it makes much more sense to stay uh, in a place for a longer time because we don't just come for projects. How do you handle that uncertainty? With lots of optimism. (laughs) You know, uh, when I ask my colleagues, they also say optimism, optimism. That's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This scenario has never... Um, been implemented in a sense. There is an informal uh, agreement amongst the foundations that if you're out of parliament for two legislative periods, funding stops. So we don't know if it really will be implemented, but uh, there is this... That would be the first time... It would be the first time in German history that this happens. So, yeah, we just have to cross fingers. Mm. I mean, the, the results, election results of the state elections in North Rhine-Westphalia were happy. I happy can imagine. One. Um, but we know that that's not representative of, I mean, that North Rhine-Westphalia is also a special state. Mm-hmm. Where the FDP has always been very strong and where our party leader is sharing the faction in parliament. Mm. <laughs> huh? Speaking about democracy, 
one thing that I'm asking myself is how much does having democracy really qualify you for teaching people about democracy in that you might have something, but you don't know how to create it? Yeah, that that is something everyone has to figure out themselves. Every country has their own challenges there and questions how to do it. But there are certain principles that I would say work across the world. For example, transparency. That it, it makes sense for democratic parties, for democratic parliaments to be as transparent as possible because that oh, that's the only way how you can actually deliver good results in policy making. You have to talk with people about what they want. And the other one is that that's the only way that people can hold you accountable. So, And there are certain laws that help with that, um, party financing laws. That I mean, It's a very sensitive issue and lots of parties around the world don't want to touch it, but that's essential for a transparent system and for creating credibility in the system. And so these are things that where, where we can pull out laws from other countries and say, look, have you looked at this, for example? Mm -hmm. How do people measure the work you do? How do you, um, like when you, if, I assume you have like a boss in Germany somewhere. Um, how do you report on progress? Like what do they measure the result of your work in? Yeah, that, that's a field of, Because, of I mean, magic, uh -huh. which people have been thinking about since 50 years, since we're doing work like this we're trying to promote democracy around the world how do you measure it well i mean there there are in democracy indicators you can take that but it's on a very um, aggregated level and the question and how far your specific seminar has really helped you know improve the situation there's always an attribution gap it's never you it's very hard to find that out however if you're long enough in a region you meet people again um, like I'm, I'm lucky I'm here now since five years. So I've been in Myanmar since the beginning of the opening. And I meet people again who tell me, who are either I see reading our books from 2013 or so on federal systems, which is now relevant in Myanmar. And earlier no one wanted to talk about it. So it was maybe not publicly read or they were not allowed to talk about it. But And I meet people who tell me, um, you know, At that seminar in 2012, you were the first one who ever talked about mm -hmm. decentralization and so on. So you opened up eyes for us. and So you need these personal testimonies. So that's what you can communicate. You can communicate, this is what I've witnessed. This is, it's kind of a report that you... Yeah, exactly. Of course, we can also communicate numbers. We can mm -hmm. say so and so many participants have received this and this information and they all crossed uh, we also have evaluation forms they all crossed they were satisfied satisfied and they found it relevant for their work and so sometimes we call them up after half a year so we call them those trace studies and we ask them did you find it useful but it's on the and at the end it's based on personal testimonies because you're looking at changing people's mindset people's personal experience and that you need to you know for that they need to tell you <laughs> is it a bit like missionary? Um, like if you have like people who are trying to rather spread a philosophy, spread a religion, is that is that a similar effect? I don't want to compare us with missionaries because uh -huh. the see, in the name of missionaries, so many bad things were done. However, um, when it comes to promoting values, um, yes, we're talking about something very soft, very um, and something that is 
however found, I mean, it touches on values that people share around the world. So it's when you look at religion, religion also talks about certain basic values of human beings. And I think that's why religions were also able to spread around the globe. And so if you talk about liberal values, you talk about human rights, you're talking about the value of every citizen to be part of a of a system, of a governing system, to, to have their rights respected by the government. These are things that people can relate to, regardless if I label it liberal philosophy or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And that's where... I haven't mentioned that before, but we always work with local partners. So we never go in a country and bring our own programs, but that's, we, we find people who share our ideas and who, who we, whose work we find important. And mm-hmm. then we say, okay, we'll, we'll do it together and we support you in this. How do you define success for yourself? Like what is something when you come home and talk to your husband, where you're really proud of something that you have achieved that day? Well, for example, when um, a former colleague of mine, that just happened yesterday, uh, a young colleague who started working with us in Myanmar, and um, we were talking about programs to involve more people to write about political philosophy, and he then went back to study, and now he's the person, now he became a political analyst and writer, so he writes himself for well-known uh, magazines here in Asia and in Europe. And I see his name and writing about our ideas, which we discussed in our office. Um, that's, of course, um, a moment where I'm, <laughs> where I'm very touched. Exhilarated. Yeah. So talking about Myanmar, you brought it up a few times that you, uh, you've been here since it opened up and you've seen a development there. When people ask you about your work in Southeast Asia, do they talk more about Thailand or do they talk more about Myanmar? Like, what's the focus of attention right now? Um, both. Both. Earlier it was Myanmar mm-hmm. because it was such an exciting development, you know, general. It was like like out of a love book story. I mean, you have this beautiful lady put up in, in, under house arrest for more than 15 years and now the generals are deciding to open it up. No one understands why, you know, and now she's even the, pre- I mean, she's not formally the president, but she says she's above the president. She had president she has nominated the president so she has certainly very powerful position in Myanmar so that story captured a lot of people's imagination and also has risen a lot of questions with Thailand uh, the the interesting development of the past years was um, rather the opposite not in such a dramatic way but people were you know um, wondering you know where does Thailand go is it stuck or is it going backward I mean, while the government tries to reform it, we have lots of question of and how far that is mm-hmm. that's the way to go ahead, you know. Your own work here is also with the Ministry of Justice, right? You've uh, signed a memorandum of understanding with them. Yes. And mm-hmm. you're working with judges here. Yes, yeah. I th- I would have assumed that's very challenging work because judges in Thailand hold a very, very specific position, legally speaking, as well as just in in general, the position they have in society, it's, I imagine it would be a very different, judges understand their own role maybe very different than from a judge in Germany. Yeah, it helps that we're not doing the work ourselves. It's it's our partner who's um, doing the trainings for judges and, and the discussions on reform issues. 
and we are we're inviting the german legal expertise there so we're they're interested in hearing about specific mechanisms like pre-trial detention mechanisms um, and bail mechanisms how it's done in different countries and then we'll invite the expertise and so we'll help them with their arguments to reform the system but mm -hmm. it's their work to reform the system with the ministry of justice actually our work goes back many years um and we had just uh, a few years ago um we've done a board game there it's <laughs> sim democracy sim democracy you can see I looked it there it up. In i the looked shell. it up it's um you have it on the google play store right it's an app as well yes yeah but it's not on the iphone store yeah i think we need to improve the app <laughs> <laughs> really what did they tell you why is it not there yeah i think now we've developed a human rights card game and that's mm -hmm. going to be produced as an app soon so i think that's i hope will be on the Okay, who's, who's uh, the target group of those games? It's like uh, students, primarily school students. Uh, Sim Democracy game was done together with the um, election commission here, uh -huh. and they they, they, they approved it. No, they wanted it. They wanted uh, it. Yeah, it's the, it's their it's among among many of their babies. Did they read all the cards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly there are people in the election commission um, okay. who have the mandate of civic education, and they were looking for ideas, and. There are election commission centers around the country that also do civic education programs at schools. And so we did, we went to many schools with them. Mm -hmm. And so the Ministry of Justice heard of this and they have, they have a department whose mandate is to also promote human rights awareness. How do you do that? They were looking for innovative ideas and they said, well, let's do a card game then. Mm -hmm. So we got our um, game designers here. And some experts from from Germany on human rights and like some of those cards are pretty uh, heavy. Um, well, yeah, they touch on real life issues here, and the idea is that young students um, they're made aware of you know what are actually human rights violations in their daily surrounding, and um, that they get the idea they can, they can do something about it because normally it's so abstract, you know. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is so abstract. It's just text and so. But with the um, card game, you get a lot of a number of scenarios, and then you discuss what's the best scenario, how to deal with the situation. And it starts with look, I mean, small things, talking with other people about it. I mean, going to to the police, um, but also approaching the National Human Rights Commission. So there's a mm -hmm. whole variety of it, and we've continued this work with the Ministry of Justice over the past years, how, regardless of governing at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. um, your own work also is working with a lot of local organizations and speaking at events. I've seen you've been to Bar Camp Bangkok, right? Oh, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> Where did the, you find that? <laughs> I, think, I think it was on your Facebook, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, but yeah, Bar Camp, which um, does like, is an unconference conference, which does events for IT interested people and i've yeah. actually I've known in the region where it's the biggest is actually in the more closed of societies like myanmar like cambodia yep. where there's much yep. less alternatives yeah. how yeah, do you yeah. what do you feel about those events what do you uh, i find them super exciting because there you have people who are interested in talking about change and bringing in a certain skill set by them and certain questions so, and because these unconference type style conferences allows allow the, everyone to really discuss what they are interested in. In a lot of our work here, even the 
rather looking, um, you know, very conventional style ones, always have a part of this unconference uh, style in it. So we always try to open it up and have participants form their own groups or discuss their own topics, because that's where you really bring people together and develop new creative ideas. Mm. I think I have a feeling when a lot of organizations come into Thailand and try to start something new with students, they go to the most established universities um, who have well-known names here. And, you know, there is something where the dean gives a talk and then there's faculty involved. And when I look at that, I think, okay, yeah, that's not exactly anti-structure anti or that's not free form. Yeah. Um, do you feel a different kind of vibe and a different kind of attendance at these kind of unconference events versus more traditional outlets? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And um, there are sometimes really weird uh, topics being proposed, you know, very personal ones. Like? I think there was something on meditation techniques and so in one of the bar, ca the bar camp here in, mm -hmm. in Bangkok where you think, mm, what has that to do with, you know, IT and changing society and so on but you know people have a connection and they bring the connection to the conference mm -hmm. and uh, we also do a lot of these traditional forms because we work with traditional institutions so if we go to schools of course there will be also a formal opening speech and so on but then for us the fun of it is you know bringing in these open these innovative tools like board games and so on to make people rethink sometimes and to experience something different uh, i think you have to work with both mm -hmm. uh, how do you think local organizations perceive you are you welcomed are you sometimes just tolerated are you sometimes ignored like what's the perception of local institutions of your work um here in thailand we are very welcomed mm -hmm. Um, we see that because we get a lot of requests for just facilitating meetings and or bringing our our board games. Or mm -hmm. We rarely pay things ourselves. Um, okay. So it's, it's a, for example, the uh, Pizza Nuluk municipality. They wanted to have a consultation process with citizens about changing their water management system, which is a huge investment. So they wanted to have a public deliberation process. So they asked us, can we train their facilitators and moderators and can we help them facilitate this process? Um, and we said, yes, of course we can. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do initially with, you know, our board games or the specific products we had, but they know that we're, we're, we're expert in facilitating um, and giving people space to discuss and bring it to something positive. So um, that's when, when they contacted us just for that. Mm -hmm. Do you think the role of these political party affin affiliated foundations has changed in the last 10, 20 years? Has it become more important? Has it become less important? Has the influence of them changed? It really depends on the country. So here in, in Thailand, I'd say um, we've always been treated with a lot of respect and people were very interested in learning from Germany. So they perceived us as a bridge to Germany to bring experts from Germany in and in, in different countries in India, the foundations are, I mean, India is so huge and we work with local partners, but there's so many NGOs. So uh, people are very indifferent hmm. there 
to, towards us, or even now the more rather hostile, you know, foreign influence, what do they want here? In Myanmar, again, we're, we find very open doors. People are so interested in uh, learning anything from the world because yeah. they've been cut off so, for so long. Well, if you would have asked me 10 years back, I mean, uh, this okay. <laughs> answer would have been very different in Myanmar. What do you think uh, is the, um, if you look at the perception, I mean, obviously one of the reasons you're welcome is because people think they can learn something from you. And has that changed? Do people nowadays look elsewhere to learn something from? Like, I remember uh, in the past, um, over oh, the past decades, there was talk about maybe some countries that used to have the let's call it moral high ground, losing it and becoming more involved in scandals. And so mm. less countries look to them as the moral leadership of the world. And also that there were alternative government models that seen economic success, like in China, mm. and that they say, oh, well, maybe we don't need that. Maybe there's other options. Maybe there's other alternatives who we can deal with. Maybe there's other ways of doing politics and that has maybe weakened that argument of let's follow the american or german style form of government mm. yeah well it's always difficult to talk about people so people are very <laughs> they're very different people in a society and we um there in every country we work with there are people who who aspire the democratic model we have in in Germany, who aspire the lessons we learn from our history, the way we deal with our history, for example. And they, of course, the economic success story of Germany is also something interesting for me. The, the story of learning from a reunification. Many countries feel that they're threatened by falling apart. They fight wars on this. And how can it be that a country reunificates? I mean, Again, this, the explanations are so specific to Germany. We always have to explain them what is our specific history to it so it can't be replicated so easily. But I think Germany still um, has a huge fascination for many people. And even, even though the European Union is in a crisis now, it doesn't really rub off on, on Germany's image, I feel, in the countries we're working. Mm -hmm. The part, the foundations that are affiliated with the political parties in Germany, like the Friedrich Naumann Foundation, they are affiliated with the parties. And the parties that are represented in German parliament all have their affiliated foundations, but they also make up the government of Germany. So in a way, there is there a kind of connect that the foundations in a way, represent a facet of German foreign policy? Uh, yes, certainly. I think that that's also um, how we're seen by, by German embassies often, that we're, um, we are very plural. We're six different foundations affiliated to very different parties, <laughs> and um, we have very plural networks. So I think one can be sure that German foundations have connections to all political facets, all kind of different NGOs in, in each country, if you, pu if you put them together. Mm -hmm. you know? Intelligence networks? Uh, no, normally not. Okay. No, I've been sad. I've, I've worked on Kashmir before in India, and uh, there it was more of a question. But the things we, we discussed in our conferences, there were no, 
they were no new to intelligence. You right. know? There are political questions who have been discussed long ago. Is, it, is uh, it like an unofficial channel sometimes? An unofficial channel of talking to people of different, of different political colors. So sometimes the government, like for example, in, in a crisis situation, other governments didn't like German government to talk to. I mean, we're just looking at recent <laughs> examples, but the, the Indian government wasn't very happy to that one would talk to separatists, for example. And so um, it's difficult, you know, for governments to officially talk to them. But we, through our work, we, of course, have communication channels, which can be where information can be given. However, they're not, I mean, of a very sensitive nature in mm. the sense that, that intelligence services would be, <laughs> would be very interested in them. Right. Yeah. Do you think your counterparts, your local counterparts, ever kind of try to read the German government's position into your activities? They're like, oh, that's a... Um, yeah, uh, yes, can, that can be. And when we talk about plurality and the value of civil society and what we're standing for, in a sense, that is something that the German government is also promoting worldwide through their funding of our, of our work. So, Because mm. we are funded through uh, German development money. When it comes to specific policy questions, you know, are we talking to this or that person? Are we doing X workshop on this? These are things we decide independently. And there have been examples where actually the foreign office wasn't too happy, foreign ministry wasn't too happy with some of the work and, and foundation still said, well, never mind, you know, it's our mm. decision to do it. Do you think for the, Fried I mean, the Friedrich Naumann Foundation isn't right now in the unique position that there is no party in the German parliament that or not, not even a party of the government right now, assuming the FDP would become part of the next government of Germany, would that influence your work or your role that you have? Like, would there be other expectations? Um, yes, it influences our role in the sense that we now <laughs> can look back at the history of um, making lots of mistakes, as, you know, the FDP has made lots of mistakes. That's why they were at the last elections where they were. And the party, I think, has learned a lot, has changed a lot, has changed content, has changed faces. And I, th I hope that will pay off in the next election. <laughs> But a lot of our partners are wondering, you know, what they can do to reform their parties. And then we can look back at our example and see, you know, um, that's where you start, when you're on the ground, when you are really blasted. Mm -hmm. Um, that's how we did it. And now I hope it, it proves successful so we, uh, we can share these experiences. So of course, it, it matters where we are at the moment. Are we in parliament? Um, different parties would like to talk to us because they want access to parliaments also. So basically, you're perceived as a way to reach the German government or local partners? No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, German government is quite easily reachable, okay. I would say, through the embassies. They have uh -huh. often very good networks into civil society as well. So you know where to find them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but if you want to talk, uh, find out more about party politics, about parliament work, that is something that you can specifically find out with the foundations because we, we can easily have people who are working currently in parliament talking to other parliamentarians. MPs networks, party networks are something very specific that we um, work with as foundations. Mm -hmm. Is your work here in Thailand exclusively focused on 
Thai nationals or the Thai government, or do you also have any contact with the expatriate population, German expatriates here? Sometimes we have, yeah. Sometimes we have German MPs or experts uh, coming here who are whose inputs are interesting for German expats. Like we just had an event with Jimmy Schulz on digitalization, you know, Thailand, Germany 4.0, what does it mean in future? We also invited German experts with the German chamber mm-hmm. because this is a big topic here in, in Thailand. And are, are you close with the chamber? Is it like, or are you closer with them than other foundations? No, I wouldn't say so. Because you're, you know, the liberal uh, yeah. economic... Well, it depends very no no. It depends very much who you bring in the country mm-hmm. and if their if their networks are interested in. Mm-hmm. So in it. So this was a topic the chambers members were also interested in. But other foundations um, also cooperate with them on on different issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. So, but our main main activities are for Thais and are in in Thai also. So, okay. Yeah. How good is your Thai? <laughs> Not so good. Not as good as my kids' tires. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who are soon going to go to a new kindergarten, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, also, do you think they'll be going to school in Thailand? I hope so. <laughs> I really like uh, working here. Uh-huh. And um, oh, you asked me earlier what is, what is good and bad about it. What I really like is the um, respect and politeness people treat each other with mm-hmm. here, and that's something I I, I would love them to <laughs> take home as well. This is how you treat your parents. <laughs> exactly. I wish they could learn a little bit more about that. <laughs> well, well, but, uh, but my nanny taught our kids very early on to say. So Adika, to everyone mm-hmm. they meet. So when my kids are around with my nanny, <laughs> mm-hmm. they they do say so Adika. Mm-hmm. When I tell them please say hello, <laughs> uh, they they respect uh, they, they switch back to the not so respectful. <laughs> do they do, do they do they do the whying like the hand? Yes, up? of course. Every Thai kid is taught this as a very first thing, and they were, they were excellent with it when they were. Uh, what do you think? You like ah, oh, that proves authority, or is like <laughs> this hierarchical, or do you like eh, it's cute? Uh, no, it's polite in a sense. Yeah, it's polite. It's. You know, when we Germans threw away our belief in authority, we also threw away a lot of our good manners. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just saying hello and opening a door for someone is something we could just, I think we could, we could retain. I think some, we could practice more often. <laughs> so you think you'll stay a little bit longer for them to pick that up before you take them back to Germany and they'll uh, get used to the German system again. <laughs> Also because um, international schools here are really excellent. So mm-hmm. staying abroad allows us to give them to international schools or even the German school who has an excellent teacher and teacher student. Swiss school, right? German Swiss school, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the uh, teacher-students ratio is much better than in Germany. So if we look at education, um, definitely for them living abroad is excellent. Do you like the private market system of education here? I have a I have mixed feelings about that because the public schools here are of so bad quality. So we really don't want to send our kids to any type public school. I wish if there would be a, a better financing system for schools, for example, through school voucher systems, that 
private schools increase competition. So, of course, they also can help lifting standards of public schools. If What, what's that of school voucher system? Uh, that, um, that, for example, the government pays per head for students if they choose schools. Mm -hmm. um, so, But the government would pay the same amount for private and public schools. Mm -hmm. So there is a certain uh, competition between schools. Um, so that, that has worked quite well in India, where we worked on that uh, system, mm -hmm. where there are also a lot of public um, or private private schools but, um, and even poor people pay for for private schooling because the public one is bad however no? hmm. yeah. interesting okay well Catherine thank you very much for being on the podcast today is You're there welcome. is there <laughs> anywhere where people can find out more about you and your work of course yeah um, click on our webpage uh -huh. in German it's really easy it's freiheit.org uh -huh. And uh, in Thailand, it's fnfthailand.org. That's a bit more conservative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just easier to spell because fry height is okay. a bit, a bit well, complicated. Okay, we'll put links to that in the show notes of this so people yeah. can click there uh, right, uh, right away. Yeah, or send me an email. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. We can put that there. And um, are there any upcoming projects you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I mentioned the um, prog program on democratic governance here, mm -hmm. where we bring um, ideas from all over the country. And lately we were in Naratiwat, now we go to Northeast and then the North. We bring that to Bangkok um, and talk about the way the people want to govern Thailand in future under the current laws and how much space is there for them to do that in a democratic way. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that happening mid-June in, in Thailand. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much, Katrin. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time.